What's up, everybody? This is the Man of Steel, Mike Verna, and you are now listening to the Pro Wrestle Zone podcast with Dan the Beast. Anybody here this evening? Anybody hear that Superman music? There you go. <laughs> we go. Ladies and gentlemen, I have here the man of steel, Mike Verna. Dude, how the hell are you? I'm good, man. And like I said off the air, I'm, I'm excited to be on here. Um, you have a great show. Great, great podcast all around. I'm happy to be a guest. I'm happy you reached out to me. So I'm pumped up. Let's get, let's get it rolling. Dude, I surely appreciate that. Like, now I get to sit here and tell the guys, like, hey, he, you know, he saw our stuff. So, <laughs> definitely brings a lot of confidence. I got to be honest with you. Don't let any wrestlers kayfabe you because we all seen the stuff. If someone's right. email, if, if our emails are out there and we catch an email, we're looking it up before we answer it. Oh, man. <laughs> all right. So, man, you, you know, it, it's been pretty difficult probably these past 10, almost 12 months now, um, as the world's been going through this pandemic, um, you know, first and foremost about your health and your safety. Um, how have you been, you know, adjusting to these past couple months here? Uh, well, thanks for asking. I hope the same goes for you. I hope everything's healthy, safe, um, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, for me, it was actually okay. You know, I, I, I did have COVID. I caught it. I caught it back in July. Actually, on my 29th birthday, I had it. So I didn't really have much of a celebration. Uh, not much I can do anyway because I live in New York City. So we're still shut down. Um, but I didn't really have many side effects. My family caught it as well. No one really had many kind of, uh, you know, severe side effects. Thank God. We kind of got over it. Kind of like a two-day intense flu. Um, we moved on. We got the antibodies. Things have been good since then. Um, but, you know, other than that, thank God for the health. But just in general with life itself has been, you know, it's been stagnant. And that, and that, I think that's the thing that, that sucks the most. I was actually, you know, a little off topic, but on topic, uh, on the topic of COVID. Um, we were getting emails this morning because I'm a college baseball coach as well. And we were getting emails this morning about the season once again potentially being canceled. So, you know, it's little moments like that that I think this entire year, um, you know, really, really puts things in, 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 the, in the front view mirror where you're like, yeah, you're missing out on a lot of things. And the hands of time, it doesn't get any slower. So, you know, two years of nothing, you know, it, that's what sucks. But, you know, obviously the health of everyone who is affected by this virus is, to me, my, that's the most important thing first. Um, but hopefully we can get back to real life because these last 12 months, as you said, or almost 12 months have not been fun. Right. And, you know, you can't be too promiscuous, you know, now say, you know, because now there's like all of these different forms of COVID. Now there's like uh, like a COVID from like the UK and all these ones are being transmitted. So now it's like now you got to be, you know, extra, uh, extra steady and careful. But, you know, you talked about being a baseball coach. Um, the last time I saw you were a assistant head coach for your old high school, uh, James Madison. How is that going? Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's where I started. So when I made the I had a tough decision in my senior year of high school, um, if I was going to go on to play college ball or if I was going to go on to pursue this now wrestling career. Um, and at the time, it was a very tough decision because you never really know what the, the move is. You never know what the best idea is. You know, you spent your entire uh, high school and basically youth career playing baseball at a competitive level, um, becoming a good ball player. And then you reach that age where you're just like, you know, maybe I don't want to commit my four years of college to the game. And mind you, this is me talking uh, as someone who knew they weren't going to make it to the big leagues. I was a D2, D3 player at best. So I'll be very modest and humble when it comes to that. Um, so I kind of looked at it from a standpoint of do I want to spend the next four years kind of, you know, riding and dying here as, an, as a college athlete or do I want to spend the next four years as a college guy? Uh, <laughs> so I kind of went that route. And, and, and in the back of my mind, I, this is when I started getting back into wrestling. And I said to myself, I was like, I'm finding baseball to become more of a job and wrestling is becoming a passion. And you know what they say, when something's a passion, you know, and, and it has the ability to be your job, then, then it's not work. So you might as well pursue it. So something hit me and I said, all right, let me let me go and become uh, let me try this wrestling thing out. 
And by doing that, I ended my playing career, um, at least at, a, at an academic level. I still played men's ball and semi-pro baseball for a little bit um, in the Long Island area. But um, that led me to coaching at my old high school. Once I told my high school coach that I wasn't going to play college ball, he wasn't very happy. So he said, okay, if you're not going to play the uh, play, do you want to stay in the game? And I said, yeah. So he said, all right, here's a job as an assistant coach. I moved my way up from a bottom tier, bottom totem pole coach, you know, basically just a catcher's instructor early on to being the assistant head coach um, and up until my last years there, which eventually led me to uh, securing a job. This would have been my third season, but obviously last year and this year potentially um, at the college level. So I love that. Um, and like I said, back in the day, baseball was work, wrestling was passion. Wrestling is still passion, but now wrestling's work, and baseball is my passion. So I love um, that everything kind of comes full circle. I'm able to stay around the game that I love, and I'm able to kind of live out the dream as being a pro wrestler. Did you lose me? Yep, I, I see it now. <laughs> Sorry. Not sure what happened there, but um, anyway, uh, you know, you talked about your uh, your baseball career and everything. Um, was there any like ambition or any direction that led you to like a business standpoint where it's like, Hey, let me see if I can at least make it to the MLB or at least the minor leagues. And that way, if it doesn't work out, I could just shift right back into wrestling. Um, you know, that you when you're at such a young age, um, and I'm talking about high school and whatnot, it, it's not, you, you can always be a dreamer. You can always be a dreamer, but I was fortunate enough to know that I didn't think that I would ever make it to the major leagues. I knew I was a good baseball player, but I knew, especially now at the coaching level there, there's, you have to be absolutely elite, no pun intended to be uh, an, a major league baseball player. And uh, I, I kind of found that realization towards, uh, towards my high school year. You know, I was hitting, I was hitting well, well, you know, I was playing against really where, I mean, New York city is a competitive, competitive division when it comes to public school. I mean, we get a lot of, a lot of like Manny Ramirez came out about our um, you know school. I mean the list goes on. We have a lot of people. Jason Marquis was a pitcher for the uh, multiple teams, but I think the Braves he played in his last thing. Um, so we have a lot of studs that come out of the PSAL, and I just knew I was like you know this maybe isn't the the um, the route I'm gonna go. Um, so I never really looked at it from a standpoint of hmm, let me pursue baseball as long as I can and then look at wrestling as a fallback. I looked at it more as let me get into wrestling now while I'm still young so I can make this 100%. That was my mindset going in. And like I said, when I was blessed with the opportunity to coach at such a young age, I said, all right, I'm going to be involved in the game. So what's the point of playing if I could still be around the game, enter a new chapter of the game, and really pursue this wrestling dream? Right. And, you know, after, you know, especially coming from like a city, you know, Bronx, New York, which is, you know, highly affiliated with baseball, so, you know, it's kind of crazy when, you know, baseball doesn't work out. You just transition into a more athletic, more risk-taking sport. But, um, yeah, you were born in Brooklyn. So what was it like being a part of a territory where everybody just talk talks about the WWF, especially with WWF, WWE being a part of, you know, the Northeast Territory? For sure. Um, well, that's funny that you say that, too, because growing up, I only liked the WWF. That was it. I was a hardcore WWF fan, especially in the Attitude Era. I was born in 1991, so I grew up in the best era of wrestling. Um, I really didn't even like WCW. I viewed them as the enemy. Um, that's how much I loved the WWF. But the funny thing about it is, is that I didn't know anything about the indies. You know, that was the that's the most interesting thing is like, you know, one of my trainers, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get to that, but one of my trainers is Joel Maximo of the SAT, who is you know, an incredible uh, independent wrestling icon um, and early ROH, early TNA icon. And I didn't know who the fuck he was when I first started training with him because I wasn't a fan of indie wrestling or TNA or ROH. I just watched WWF. So, like, you know, going to all these shows as a kid, um, you know, Nassau Coliseum, Madison Square Garden, um, Prud uh, Prudential Center, they had the Continental Airlines Arena back then, all these in the tri-state area, you know, it was just that, that's what it was all about, it was always WWF hardcore. Now, what led you, like, you know, one day, you know, stumbling upon TV, like, what led you to that point where it became a consideration, like, hey, maybe I should give this an opportunity, like, was there any moment while watching wrestling, or maybe just attending one of your first shows, it was definitely, well, obviously, as a, so as a kid, 
Um, like I said, touching back on baseball, I loved baseball. I loved wrestling. I really, really loved the both of them. I was obsessed with both of them, but I never thought that you can actually become a wrestler. I used to think that Vince McMahon found these wrestlers in circuses and, you know, different countries, and they just found all these crazy people and said, all right, we're going to teach you how to be a wrestler. I never knew that you can actually attend the academy or a training school and actually learn to become a wrestler. So I started a T-ball when I was three years old, and I didn't start taking bumps when I was three years old. I started hitting balls. Um, and uh, so as a kid, I always had that moment of like, yeah, I want to be a wrestler, but I didn't think it was ever possible. Um, I didn't think it was ever possible. Um, but actually what got me to want to actually do it, um, I'll give you the honest thing. It was drunk, very, very drunk at uh, my after prom in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. Uh, a couple of my buddies, we were just, we were having a great time. Like I said, we were definitely not in the right state of mind. Um, and we were just talking about wrestling and how good it was back in the day. Um, and it just, I, it, like, it excited me. You know what I'm saying? I got that excitement again where I felt like I was a kid. I was like, and at this particular time, um, not to go too off topic, but I feel like every single fan starts at a young age. And then in the beginning of high school, they stop. And then towards the end of high school, early college, they kind of start liking it again. This is my generation, at least. Um, they kind of start liking it again, but it's kind of like under the wraps. It's like a little low-key taboo thing. Like, we like wrestling, but we're not going to talk about it. Now it's so pop culturally cool that you could just talk about it no matter what. I mean, I see Hulk Hogan shirts and in bars and, you know, Shawn Michaels zip-ups, uh, you know, nightclubs and stuff like that. It's a cool thing to do. Um, so back to the original point was, yeah, I was just sitting there and I was like, I was just kind of getting back into it a little bit. I was watching stuff and I was watching old YouTube nostalgia clips. And I was like, this is still like, I'm still really liking this, but I'm not, I'm so disconnected from the, the stars of today. You know, I didn't know, you know, Bradshaw from the APA was now JBL. Like I was kind of relearning all these things, uh, but the product was good again. I, I was really enjoying it. And then, you know, like I said, drunk out of our faces, doing some wrestling moves through couches and futons and seaside heights. Um, it led me to turn around and say that was my final decision where I, I decided, I said, yeah, I'm not going to play baseball. I'm going to, I'm going to pursue this. I really want to do this. I already had it in the back of my mind, but it wasn't something, like I said, that I thought I could actually do and drunken after prom. That'll do it for you. <laughs> right. And then you talked about Joe Maximo, which basically he is the owner of S, um, FSW. Um, how is it like um, going in a, into a facility where not only you, you'll be able to train and work out, but also get the opportunity to say, hey, you know, you want to start training for wrestling? Here you go. I mean, it's great. Like, that was the thing. So I actually started, I started at NYWC out in Long Island. And my first two trainers were Alex Reynolds and Tony Nice. Um, the way the, the 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 like it's once again, like I said, when I start when I knew I wanted to be a wrestler, the next step was how do I do it? So I went to Nassau Coliseum, one of the last shows, and I think it was 2011. And it was when Zack Ryder was flaming hot with, with WWE at the time. And I had met Big O, who eventually became my tag partner down the line. But I had met Big O, um, who was featured on Z True, Lo uh, True Long Island Story weekly. I met him in the, in the, at the snack bar. We talked. We took some pictures. You know, I marked out to him. And, you know, I said, I was like, so you, are you being a wrestler? And he's like, yeah, I'm, trying, I'm training at NYWC. Take a look at it. And he had given me the information. I looked him up online, and I said, all right. I made a call, and I, I showed up that following Sunday, and I started my first day of training there. Um, how I met Joel was Deer Park, Long Island is actually where I'm at right now, but I live in Brooklyn. It's about an hour and a half away, especially during traffic. So it's not the easiest travel, especially at 18 or 19 years old when I started training. Um and I, I did about a year with uh, Alex and, and Tony. And I'm telling you, they taught me every basic that I possibly needed to know to get me to where I am now. Because if I would have met Joel and I didn't have their basic foundation, it would have been a totally different experience. So I thank them so much. I can't put them over and uh, put them over anymore. Uh, but real life kicked in. You know, I, I, I was a student full time. I was working full time. It was just hard for me to get from Brooklyn to Long Island two days a week on a strict specific schedule to do this pro wrestling thing. So I kind of fell into a situation where I was like, damn, I gave up baseball. I gave up all this stuff to be a pro wrestler. And now I find myself not being able to do it. So I took about a year off, um, got everything situated. And a, a friend of mine who eventually became another tag partner was also an independent wrestler by the name of Talon. He was the head trainer at my workout gym. And he as well was a wrestler at the time. I didn't really know. And we, I just stumbled across at the front desk, one of the flyers for a show that he was on. And I said, Holy shit, this guy's a wrestler. So we eventually ended up talking and one thing led to another. 
he invited he introduced me to FSW, which was in Brooklyn. And I was like, holy shit, there's a wrestling school in Brooklyn. So I don't have to try it. And it all just came. It was a perfect situation. I showed up. I met Joel. And I had my first match in 2013. He he was my finishing coach. He was the guy that basically made the Man of Steel or helped make the Man of Steel. So the rest is history from there. Uh, all right. So going down the line there, while you were building this persona or like this character for yourself, um, especially during your training process, was there anybody that you were watching down the line that you tried to uh, manipulate in some ways, uh, shapes, or forms? For sure. So the Man of Steel character is obviously, you know, it's it's Superman. You know, it, it's that. But when I first debuted that character, I didn't want it to be a total ripoff of Superman. I didn't want it to be something where I was going to have the song that I have now and the cape and all that stuff. I kind of wanted it to just be a nickname like Chuck Liddell has the Iceman or Conor McGregor has Notorious. I just wanted to be Man of Steel. Uh, but as time went on and the fans kind of started adapting and really liking me and I was getting over in the territory, um, I just said, let's go 100% with this Man of Steel thing. Why not? You know, uh, and, and, and it's worked, thank God. Um, but I, you know, now, to answer your question, obviously it's a lot of studying of the Superman mannerisms, the Superman outfits, the Superman characteristics. Um, ironically enough, I was also more of a Batman fan growing up. I didn't know much about Superman at all. So I'm learning that as we go, which is fun. Um, but in regards to in the ring, um, my three go-tos when it would come to actually studying based on my, si my style, my size, and what I look like, um, I would always study Kurt Angle, Dean Malenko, and Chris Benoit. Um, those three right there are the guys that I said, okay, this is the, this is my style. This is what I have to work with. You know, I, I, they can get up on the top rope when they need to, they can grapple and be technical when they need to, they can do the lucha when they need to, and they can tell a story. You know what I'm saying? Like Kurt Angle in 2006, he's one of the best, he was the, one of the best round performers, um, that I've ever seen. And I think his run then is what started my run early in high school of getting back into wrestling because I was like, this guy is just so entertaining. And you ended up debuting uh, in 2013 for Warriors of Wrestling, which you spent roughly probably around a year or so. But then going into um, FSW, um, how is it like working with the likes of Whiplash? Um, talking about a guy who's been around the business for almost 20 years. So how was it like to uh, gain some of his knowledge and pick his brain a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Whiplash, that's, I'm happy that you brought him up because he doesn't get enough credit that he deserves. I think he, he, uh, along with Angel Ortiz, um, who's obviously Ortiz now with the Inner Circle, um, and Joel, the three of them, when I got to, you know, the FSW school, those are the three guys that really helped me, um, you know, create my style, really finished my training process off. Whiplash is a great teacher. He's hilarious as a guy. He's one of the best in-ring guys all around that I've seen. I wish there would be more eyes on him because he really, he, I, I can't, I really can't speak highly enough of his in-ring ability. Like, he is so good. I mean, he's the one who gave me my finisher now. You haven't been able to see it on AEW yet because, well, my record isn't the best, but, but but we'll get there. You'll see it eventually once I get those W's under my belt. But um, if you see my independent matches, I mean, the finish the finish that I use, he helped me put that together. Um, so like I said, with Whiplash, I mean, just any kind of experience I was able to get from him, especially when it comes to in the ring, I'm very thankful for. And I hope to see him down the road on a big stage. Now, fast forwarding a little bit up to current times, uh, you know, you talked about AEW. Now, Kind of led me to a little speculation because a couple months ago, I, I believe it was you or I believe it was JT Dunn, um, shared a picture of you guys at, I would want to say, like a dark show or a regular TV show. Yeah, we, so we actually, this, yeah, this, this runaround into current times, or was it my first experience in AEW? Um, JT and I, we went to the second and third episodes of Dynamite. And this was before Dark really existed on the level that it's at now. Um, the Dark matches that they had were before Dynamite in front of a live crowd. It was only about three matches. Um, and they usually featured their roster guys, not so much unsigned guys and um, new faces that came in. Um, so there wasn't matches at the time for us. But we were invited there because we were associated with Northeast Wrestling, which is, to me, one of the best, if not the best, independent wrestling company. Yeah, it's, it's top of the line. I'm so happy to be a part of that company. It's so much fun. Can't wait to get back to see them in front of a crowd because that place is always electric. So, you know, Cody had a great relationship with the owner, Mike, because Mike used to be very close to Dusty. And, um, you know, when Dynamite first started, we were there as guests. We were there as invited guests. And, 
you know, we we just were able to kind of be in the locker room. And mind you, the, a lot of the guys that work for AEW now, um, they work for NEW and they work the Indies. So, like, we had really good relationships with them coming up already. So it's cool to see them all on a great uh, big stage now. Um, and it was kind of cool because it's like, all right, this was the beginning of kind of getting our foot in the door there. And then as time passed, obviously the pandemic kind of put things in question. And uh, at least for me, speaking for myself, it's good to kind of circle back now and kind of get that foot back in the door and kind of, you know, work my way to the part where hopefully I'm a mainstay there at AEW. And then uh, and then uh, we have some a lot of unfinished business. And then, you know, shout out to JT, because it's only a matter of time before I think he joins me. You know, I hope so. I mean, JT, I, you know, he's had more TV experience time. Um for the time being, especially his time in Impact yeah. um, a couple years back. But um, talking about, you know, AEW, Cody, um, and the affiliation with uh, Northeast Wrestling, um, I'm from Waterbury, so I've seen a lot of these shows as you guys come your way to my city. Um, back in 2019, I'm sure you know this, over the top, you and JT causing melee, all mm -hmm. of a sudden, Page, Adam Page, Cody Rhodes, you know, it's the stare downs of the stare downs. Now, this was obviously before AEW Dynamite was launched later on in October, but maybe during that time, maybe that same time, maybe that same day, was there any talks during that time of like early development or early like call ins, like, hey, you know, we want you guys to come in, come through, test the waters a little bit? Uh, yeah, for sure. I'm, I won't pull any punches. Uh, we, we definitely did. And you know, the, the good thing about that is, is, uh, you know, Mike put us in a situation that night. Um, and he didn't really tell us just to be clear. He didn't tell us what was going to happen. We had a, we had an intuition that Cody was definitely going to be there. We didn't know who else from the elite would be there. It ended up being obviously hangman. Um, but we didn't know what we were doing. We, we, we knew our match that night was against SCU. So we knew that we were already going to be wrestling someone from the company um, that was associated with AEW and, 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 and the elite in general. Uh, but we didn't know that what we were going to do in regards to Cody. But Mike did say, you know, get ready. It's going to be a big night. Um, so we had a little bit of a gut feeling that we were going to do something. Um, and then when the, the melee happened and, and everything went good, it, it was almost kind of like a test. And it, it wasn't a bad test. It wasn't something where it was like, oh, we're going to test these young guys and see what they can do. It's just it's sometimes when you're put in a situation as a worker um, in kind of like an impromptu improv situation, even though we were able to kind of talk a few things out. Um, you know, it's kind of like how do we, how do they you know how do they present themselves? How, are they able to step up to the plate and hit a home run, or are they or are they going to squander under the pressure? Because those Waterbury shows, as you know. I make it packed. We have a thousand plus people there. So it's, it's a good environment. And especially right now, the way wrestling is a thousand people sounds like a hundred thousand people. So, I mean, those moments were great. So when we were, when we finished the whole segment and, and everything went good and, and the, and hangman and Cody were happy, you know, we did, we did have a couple of words with Cody. And like you said, it was early, early development at that time. And nothing was really clear and concrete because uh, dynamite didn't start it until if that's January, it didn't start for what another almost a year later, almost what nine months yeah, later, about, about October. Yeah, so there was still a lot of things in the works and a lot of things that were getting fine tuned. Um, but you know, we let them know, and 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 I'm happy too because you know I'm at this point now where I have so many other things going on um, in in my life between acting and career, which has been successful, thank God. Obviously, like I said before, coaching baseball, um, AEW gives you the freedom to do all those things. AEW gives you the opportunity to be a full-time professional wrestler and have a life outside the ring where some other companies don't. Um, so I'm happy everything worked out this way. Like I said, I got a lot of work to do still. I got a lot of, uh, earning, uh, especially in the winning column, <laughs> um, you know, before I can turn around and say, I I'm, 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 fully accomplished to where I want to be. But in the meantime, I'm so happy it's, it's associated with AEW. I'm so happy that uh, I was able to wait that time out and obviously get my foot back in the door with AEW. So everything happens for a reason. Now, any spoiler of when we might actually see you on live TV every Wednesday? Um, I tell you the truth. I, I'm not kidding. You. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I would say, Keep in mind that we're getting another hour of TV in the future, very near future. And I think that will open a lot more doors for guys like myself and uh, some of the other talent on the, uh, some of the other uncontracted talent. Let's put it that way. And you know what? You, you, you talked about AEW, you know, going back to the AEW subject. A lot of these guys from AEW, you uh, previously faced in five borough wrestling. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, just talking to the likes of like Alex Reynolds and uh, John Silver, the Beaver Boys. Um, what was it like? You know, I, as I'm looking at your credentials and everything, you you, t- you seem to be a guy. You know, first of everything, because you and Big O uh, ended up becoming the first ever uh, FBW Tag Team Champions. Yep. Uh, yeah, that, that like I mentioned before, that that to me is the best thing about AEW and uh, being associated with them um, in regards to any other company is is I've literally I know everybody in that locker room on such a personal level. Like I came up with something like I mentioned before, Alex Reynolds is my trainer. Um, so these people, the Johnny Silver helped me early out in NYWC, uh, Scorpio Sky, Christopher Daniels, Kazarian, people I work, Jack Swagger is one of my best friends, Brian Cage, one of my best friends. You know what I'm saying? These people, uh, their country, they're my boys, like my go-to boys. So like, that's the best thing about AEW is, is that all these matches that can potentially happen one day down the line, they already happened on the Indies. MJF, I, I mean, I was, I was part of his first independent outside show. You know, that's that's someone we we traveled so many times to him, Max. Like we have so many good memories. I don't want to talk too highly about him because he's a piece of shit. And I want to make sure he stays true to his his his, his uh, you know, what he is. <laughs> let's put it that way. Uh, but he's he's you know, he's to me, he's a great friend. So I, I just have I have so many memories with these guys and so many experience with these guys from a working standpoint, also um, personal standpoint that it's just awesome. You know, it's just such an awesome environment. And then, you know, talking about first things again, uh, you would go on in 2015 to uh, Dynasty, and, you know, you won a tournament, defeating Mike Orlando, becoming the first ever Dynasty champion. Yeah, now, how was that, that like, having the earnings of making your way up and winning the Dynasty title compared to uh, the Fatal 4-Way match um, during FBW? Uh, between Eddie Kingston and Brian Myers winning their uh, uh, heavyweight title? Uh, it's, you know, obviously every every company is different. Every company you have a different relationship, a different attachment to. Um, for me, the dynasty holds a special uh, you know part in my heart because that was my first outside company of uh, FSW. So FSW Warriors are wrestling with the two home-based companies that I worked early in my career. But the dynasty was the first travel company that I worked for on a consistent basis. And the first company and the first promoter and Chris Envy to actually put their stock in me and say, hey, this kid, this kid can go. This kid can be my champion. So, you know, doing that early in my career, I think I won that belt in 2014, maybe. Um, but at the time, it was I was so you know young and inexperienced. I've only wrestled for a year. So going into that night, knowing that it was a multi-match tournament and I was going to be wrestling, I think, three times that night and having three different matches, you know, that's something that experienced veterans do. Now I can do that in my sleep. But back then, I was, you know, panicking. I was like, oh, my God, what do I do? I got to change my gear. I only got five minutes to call a match. I got to do this. You know, my knee hurts. This hurts. So it's it was definitely tough. But once it was all said and done, it was it's an unforgettable experience because it's like, you know, it's the vindication where you say, okay, like, now I'm a wrestler. Now I feel like a wrestler because I'm... I may have won a title for FSW, but that's my home company. It's in my backyard. You know what I'm saying? It's right in Brooklyn. But to travel, you know, four hours to upstate New York, win a, win a belt for a company that you never worked for, and, and for those people to turn around and say, you know, you're their guy. You know, that, that means you're that company's guy. Uh, it's definitely a big accomplishment. Now, in regards to FBW, what was different about that is, is that FBW, when FSW shut down, that became my home company. I was very hands-on on helping out with uh, everything that happened backstage. Um, I helped with writing the show. I helped with uh, booking talent. Um, you know, with the owner there, Troy, he, he was one of my personal friends growing up. So to help him out live his dream while he helped me out live my dream, it was the best of both worlds. So, yeah, I, I did win the tag team titles first. Um, I was never in the main event picture there because they had so many crazy good talent. We had the Bucks constantly. We had, you know, Tony Nese. We had all these people, Trent. All these people were there on a regular basis. The Wolves. I mean, uh, Kenny Omega. Like, so, so Mike Verna, you know, three years into his career is not going to be main event in that show. But when I finally got up to the point where I was over, especially since it was Brooklyn, the best thing about any company that you work in your hometown is you have the ability to get over quick. 
And being that that company runs every month in your hometown, you're able to be there every month. So now you become bigger, if not if not bigger than some of those names, equal to the big names like Kenny Omega and the Bucks and all these big draws that they bring in to the fans' heart. Just because you're over and you're the hometown boy, you're just as big as as the stars. So it's great. So when I finally worked my way up to have the opportunity to to to, to wrestle for that title, I was like, all right, you know, now I'm starting to feel like okay, now now you know. The, Dynasty was more of a company that was out in, out in upstate New York with not many names on the show, a lot of homegrown guys. FBW was star-studded all the time. So to be the champion of that company, that was a second you know, validation of my career where I could turn around and say, now I'm starting to get somewhere because I'm wrestling here with Eddie, Brian Myers, Anthony Gangone. Anthony Gangone was uh, you know, a big-time indie guy in the area, and then Brian, I don't got to speak much more about Brian and Eddie. So now... To be in a match with those four guys, I was just, I was amped. I was ready to go. And when it was all said and done, I was happy with the outcome. And I was happy to hold that belt. And, you know, I, I want to talk about Eddie Kingston here. Because I feel like Eddie Kingston is probably one of the most underappreciated guys of all time. But, you know, how is it like for him to finally land a spot where about a year, a year ago, he was sitting there making YouTube videos saying, I want to retire. I can't do this no more. You know, I'm, I'm starting to give up. But obviously, he wouldn't put that foot down because he's not responsible of being a man of such action. Long overdue is the easiest way for me to put that. Long overdue. I met Eddie early in my career. Didn't get a chance to form a relationship with him up until about that match when I wrestled him. And that must have been, what, 2016? I don't, know, I don't remember off the top of my head. But it's been, you know, I've gotten to know Eddie you know, for, for a decent amount of time now and his passion for the business, you, you know, you see a promo of his, you see a match of his and you say, this guy gets it. This guy's believable. This guy loves this business. But until you know him and until you're around him and you see that he literally lives, sleeps and breathes pro wrestling, his passion is on, you know, it's unbeatable. It's, it's not, no one can match it at, at a certain point, especially the fact that those words that he speaks about his hardships and not being able to make it. And, and some people thinking he's, you know, this out of shape laughing stock or, uh, you know, he's not that good or this, all the doubt is he proved wrong. He proved all of them wrong. And, and, and he's showing, he's showing the doubters how good he really has been the entire time. It's just, you got to get to know him and you got to see him and, and, and not to put a AEW over again, or, or and including Eddie, is it just shows that sometimes it takes a company that's willing to take a chance on the unorthodox guys to show how good they are, to show that they're stars. You turn around, you look at AEW, Marco Stunt, Jungle Boy, guys that people turn around when they watch wrestling, they say, oh, they're not wrestlers. Oh, they're wrestlers, man. Just turn on the TV and watch them wrestle. They can go. Wait until you see this match tomorrow night between Jungle Boy and, and Dax. Um, tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Uh, you know, anyone that wants to doubt... You know, guys like Eddie, guys like Marco and Jungle, Sonny Kiss, Joey Janela. Like, come on. You know, you, this is this is what AEW is. AEW is about diversity and opening the door for wrestlers that, like, even myself. Like, people look at me, yeah, he's Jack, but he's only 5'10". You know what I'm saying? WWE had the, you know, they told me, like, okay, yeah, we like that you're big, but we want to see you shredded. It's like nothing, there's no perfect world. You know what I'm saying? There's no perfect world. AW, it's not about that. It's about how good you can be, and and, and it's a, they set you up for success, and that's what I love. And I love seeing guys like that being able to succeed. Eddie, the the whole list goes on. Now, going back to uh, WWE, um, you did end up having a match on NXT against yeah. Jackson Riker. Um, how did that come to be? You know, knowing that you know, considering the fact that NXT is mainly in the Florida territory. Um, were you doing some wrestling down there around the time when they said, hey, you know, let's call you in? Or did you go through this process of, hey, let's get you through the performance center, see if we like you until it comes to terms of signing you or not? For sure, for sure. So that whole process kind of starts uh, for me all the way back in 2014. To answer your first part of your question, I was wrestling out there uh, for companies like CCW, Blueprint. Uh, there's a few more, but honestly, off the top of my head, I'm not going to be able to list them off. There's been, so, been a lot. But I've had wrestling Florida a bunch of times. Um, but my, my story with WWE starts back in 2014, about nine months uh, after I debuted, um, doing some extra work back at the Barclays Center, which at the time, this was before the Performance Center was up and running. Um, they used to have basically the local guys in the towns come in, um, guys that they were interested in, and they would have basically mini matches and mini promos with like William Regal and other guys that were, uh, you know, scouting talent. 
And again, that was before the performance center happened. And that was before they were having their like uh, extravagant tryout situations. So I met the people at WWE back in 2014. And I, I basically had been in contact with them and I was on their extra circuit loops every time they were in the, in the area um, pretty much for, for a couple of years. And then 2017, I actually got invited to have a tryout at WWE at the performance center. Um, and that, that's based on your work. That's based on your, uh, your indie wrestling resume, who trained you, what seminars you did, all this stuff, your references, the reputation. It all comes to full circle. Now, I had my first tryout four years after I debuted. So still relatively inexperienced, but I did have a little bit of mileage underneath my belt where I can turn around and, and uh, you know, be prepared when I went there. And that's exactly what it was, is I was prepared. I was very overprepared. Um, I went to a tryout that was for heavyweight wrestlers. So it was for guys that were like 6'4 and above or guys that were muscular and over 220. At the time, I was 230. But remember, I am only 5'10". Uh, with my boots on, I touch six, but I'm certainly not the big show. Um, so I went there and I had a great tryout and, and, and the, the feedback that I was getting there was like, I, I gotta, I gotta start looking at apartments cause I'm moving to, I'm moving to Orlando. Um, that's how, how good it went. Um, eventually time passed. You finally get the call from the powers that be. And they told me we're interested in you. Um, we definitely want to have you back, but we want to see you more in the two Oh five range. And at that point I was like, damn, like, you know, I was so prepared for that tryout. Things went so good. I was really expecting to get a job and then when they said yeah we're not going to sign you yet until we kind of find what we want from you um it was kind of a letdown but it was also something to look forward to is something to say okay that that's something i can do but i didn't feel like i wanted to get a 205 like i said i was 235 i don't know if it was laziness or comfortability or just the fear of getting smaller i don't know what it was but i just didn't want to necessarily drop that and i was kind of you're like oh i don't want to say offended because it wasn't offensive it was a great call and it was optimistic but i was kind of like i said let down that you know all the work that i put in and all the um you know optimistic views that i was getting from them and actually you know it took the win from me from my sales um so i took a little bit of a break from hitting up wwe um and then about a year later they called me back and and this was before i didn't lose any weight yet but they they called me back and they said um, we want to bring you down for for a, a match at the performance center. So I said, "Yeah, hell yeah!" So of course I'm going to take that up. So I had the match with Jackson Riker. Um, it went how it went. Uh, again, good stuff. All the good feedback. Uh, we'll let you know. We'll talk to you soon. All that stuff. So that's how I got the match. Is basically just being being in there. We're your, we're interested in you, circle for for so long. Um, but the interesting one thing was is that uh, that following summer or that summer approaching. So that was December 2018. So that summer coming up. Um, I trained with Joe DeFranco, a Triple H's trainer. And he had told me, he said, Mike, why don't you get down to 205? He's like, I, you know, I spoke to the people there. All you got to do is get down to 205. And I finally said, all right, frick it. Let me get down to 205. So I spent that entire summer getting down to 205. I was 4% body fat. I was shredded. I was in the best shape of my life. I, my endurance in the ring was great. But for some reason, my gut feeling said, and this was around the time that, you know, I knew AEW was the thing. But it wasn't something that was up yet and running, and it wasn't something that I was I was really like involved in yet. Uh, but like I said, I, I I said you know what? No, like I don't want to go there. Like something told me in myself and my gut, and I said I don't want to go to WWE. I don't want to. I don't want to be in a situation where you know I can't pursue the things that I'm pursuing now, uh, or you know enjoy life outside of wrestling because that's what it comes down to. Is that you don't want to be in a situation where you can't have a life. And don't get me wrong, w, uh, WWE is the major leagues. It's the top of the heap. No one will ever discredit it. And I grew up a WWE fan. I love WWE. I love professional wrestling in general. Um, but something just said no. And, I, and when I say these on podcasts, I don't mean it to say, I don't mean it to shit on WWE, and I don't mean it to burn a bridge with WWE, because if the opportunity came to work for them, obviously I would consider it. And obviously I would have to turn around and say, am I going to do this or not? Um, but my heart was in a different place at that time and everything comes back full circle and we'll see where I feel when the time's right. But, um, right now my heart's with AEW. And is there anybody in particular during your time in WWE, um, during your transition and onto exiting, was there anybody in particular that was like, Hey, you know, come here, like, um, you know, I'll keep my eye on you, you know, and let's see what happens within the next couple of years or so. For sure. I mean, any all the coaches there that I had at the tryout, um, those are the guys that are really like the unsung heroes. Those are the ones that they're the ones keeping the notes. They're the ones remembering the faces and remembering the guys. And in, in the long run, those are the guys that are going to go out up to the office and say, you got to get you got to take a look at this guy. You got to give a chance. The guys that signed you, the office guys, they're they're 
one of the memorable memorable things I'll say when I had that tryout um, was they said that WWE is a company that fills roles. We don't need the best wrestler. We need to fill roles. But the coaches who are wrestlers, they know who the best wrestlers are. And they always keep those in the back of their mind. They always look at it and say, okay, this guy we got to remember. This guy we're to keep on. One of those guys for me was Steve Carino. Um, we clicked on baseball. He's a Phillies fan. I'm a Met fan. So we already were messing with each other off the bat. And we still mess with each other to this day about that. But he was someone who really, like, he, you know, he kept his eye. And he said, like, this, this, this kid's good. This kid's good. And Joe Briscoe, same way. Johnny Saint was there. You know, all these guys, I, I, like I said, I'm not, to, not to be in, a, in an optimistic situation, but they, they held me in one of their highest uh, regards for that tryout. And it was a good thing. But, you know, th th those are the unsung heroes. Those are the, co the coaches were the ones that really had your back. Um, whenever you do extra work at WWE, it's it's a little bit of a tense environment because it's so hectic over there trying to get TV done. Um, so it's hard to kind of get into a real personal connection with the people that work there unless you know them on a personal level. Um, but the coaches at a tryout, those are the ones that that really uh, take you under their wing for the time being. And uh, going back to like WWE type guys, um, going back to your time in FBW, you actually had the opportunity be, to be in on Mary, uh, on your, what the fuck's the word? <laughs> you know, uh, honorary member of hey. FBI. <laughs> yes. So how was it like, you know, like picking the brains with them and knowing like, hey, you know, these guys had the WWE experience. This is something that I could take along with me, you know, within the next couple of months or years. Well, to put it simple to you, I still get text messages from Mama Luke about my matches on a regular basis. So just to put that into perspective, he's one of the guys um, that is a, a forever wrestling guy. And he may not be able to physically be in the ring, but his mind for wrestling is so unmatched. And I'm so thankful to have him as a friend because, you know, he gets it. He gets it. He's the type of guy that will look at a little thing in my match and say, you know, that looked like shit. And it wasn't because it looked bad, but it doesn't make sense. And you wouldn't realize it while calling a match because you're so focused on the big moments that you forget the little things. But he's that smart where you could turn around and say, yeah, that little thing that you did when you passed them by doesn't make sense. And you don't realize it because you're just calling it as a transition. It's such a minor, minuscule thing in a match sometimes. But he'll be the one that said, no, this made you look this way. Um, so, you know, from that first day I met him back when I, when I teamed him for, yeah, I think it was, I think that was, FBW's first show um you know up until now the relationship we have like it's so good to have a mentor that has all the mileage on in in wrestling and all the mind uh and such a great mind for wrestling to always be able to just reach out in a single text and say yo mama luke what do you think about this match or or what whatnot so that knowledge tree is great and i'm even blessed now too because i have guys like swagger uh hager and, and Billy Gunn, who, you know, he aged in, in a lot of my dark matches uh, with AEW. And I was able to feud with him for two weeks on dark. Um, so I have guys there that are really, really giving in regards to their knowledge and their perspective on wrestling. And that's what it comes down to is like to have to be a person who has a good reputation and build these connections. The, the, the learning never stops. And, you know. Talking about, like, the FBI, which, I mean, no offense, they, they were never part of, like, championship material caliber. How was it like to go up against uh, Eddie Edwards uh, during his time as TNA World Champion while you were still the Dynasty Champion? How was it like to pick the brains with somebody who's top tier and know, hey, what the, you know, whatever predicament, you know, I'm involved in, you know, I'm, I'm going to find a way to resolve it. For sure. Eddie, Eddie is another guy who, who I think is one of the most underrated guys, even though he's done so much and he's not really considered underrated. I think his value is underrated. Um, he's so good. Um, I remember when I wrestled him for the I wrestled him back in FBW once in an impromptu tag match because uh, Davey got hurt. So it was me and Big O against uh, uh, Eddie and, and a wrestler by the name of Joe Attell. Um, it was just kind of a random tag team that they had to do. Um, so that was the first time I wrestled Eddie. And if I'm not mistaken, that was one of the first name wrestlers I wrestled. Um, I know I teamed with the FBI. I know I teamed with Matt Stryker, but I never really wrestled a, a name. Uh, maybe Val Venus once. But, I mean, Eddie was, like, my real, like, test. Um, and he was so easy to call a match with. He was so giving. Um, and he was so simple. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you go up to these matches and you wrestle a name, you're like, this is going to be hard. I got to gotta whip out all my good stuff. I got to do all these crazy things that I've never tried before, maybe kill myself just to impress them. And he's not like that. He took all my spots that I convoluted and wanted to make really hard. And he turned around and said, we're going to do it, but we're going to do it this way. 
And it was just such a helpful thing early in my career. Um, when I wrestled him for the Dynasty and Impact title at the time, A, this is a TNA champion who was willing to defend his title on an independent show against a guy who is not on TV. And if you watch back that match on YouTube, I was TNA champion for a whole minute. So just to put it into perspective, that is how Eddie Edwards is. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Edwards is the type of guy that says, as long as we have a good match and you keep me safe, we're going to make this work. We're going to make this good. And I can't thank him enough with that. You know, I can't turn around and say, you know, I, it's perfect situation. And his matches are always fun and they always hurt because he has great chops. <laughs> now, was there ever an opportunity to have a tryout for Impact? So Impact, believe it or not, so I've done, I, I've been involved and in contact with every major company. Impact is the only one over my career, other than winning their title for a minute, um, is the only company in my career that I've never had any kind of dialogue with. I mean, I speak to Don Callis now, and Scott Demore is obviously, he, you see him in the in the AEW locker room from time to time, but I haven't had a chance to, to, to ever talk to Impact. You know, I went to a couple of their shows that they did in um, Queens. I forget which one, which um, restaurant or nightclub it was. I forget. I think it's the New York Ballroom, or whatever it is that they do their their tapings back then. So I went to a few shows there as a guest. I did, you know, linger backstage. Like I said, when Brian was there, you know, and he was champ, he just let me in. Um, but I never got to the point where I was, you know, ever in talks with them. You know, Deanna Peraza is one of my best friends, and she always tells me, like, why don't you come here? Because I was like, well, because I want you to come here. <laughs> so it's one of those things where it's 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 tough. Um, but Impact's a great company. I think they're in a, I think they're in a totally new direction of where they're going to go. And I think this partnership or ongoing relationship with AEW is going to be great for all companies involved. And I, I think the future is bright for every company that's not WWE. I think we're in a situation right now where WWE isn't the only game in town. You know, and, and companies like Ring of Honor, Impact, and even MLW, House of Glory, companies that are, you know, not considered players will now be players. Right. And, you know, talking about uh, TNA and everything, I mean, there's been rumor and innuendo, mm -hmm. or at least for, from what I saw, that uh, Tony Khan was actually interested in purchasing Impact Wrestling. Now, would you consider it maybe somewhere down the line, maybe like a, like a co-branded um, pay-per-view on the Fight Network, or, you know, maybe foreshadowing a little bit, maybe um, going ahead of my game here, but maybe going down to a point where AEW acquires all these impact guys where it leads to a brand split. That would be interesting, too. I've heard those rumors in innuendo. I personally have no comment on them and no knowledge about if it's true or not. So I'm, I will not take baby on that, but I have no idea if that's true or not. Um I, you know, I thought about it. I turned around. I did think I said, you know, if we do, if AEW does acquire um, a bunch of impact talent or the brand itself, would it be just AEW impact? And it would just be like thunder and you keep those guys there and you keep dynamite on Wednesday with the AEW gods. Uh, but then you have that weird elephant in the room of the OGs compared to the not OGs. And then you also have the weird elephant in the room of, you know, uh, the unsigned guys are the new talent that's coming in where it's like, oh, those guys are not taking my spot. Or you also have the elephant in the room now of when do we trade talent? So there's a lot of factors that go into it when you acquire a full company. I mean, if you remember WWE and WCW and ECW at that time, they had that great alliance angle, but eventually it all absolved into, dissolved into WWF. And some of those guys got lost in the shovel, released, or some became stars. Um, so it would be similar, I guess, in a situation like that. If TK ever decides to buy Impact, or any company for that matter, it would be interesting to see how the talent is distributed um, and to see what talent lasts or what talent goes away or goes to another company. Um, and it would certainly be interesting to see if, it, if that becomes the second brand of, of AEW. But um i have no idea it would be it would be it would shake the world it would shake the wrestling world no doubt about that and you know fast forwarding a little bit and kind of branching out another company here um new japan pro wrestling uh last year at new's over the top you and jt teamed up together against god um was there any thoughts on maybe taking your um basically uh taking your talents to uh japan or somewhere in the dojo I mean, yeah, New Japan, you can never leave them out of the discussion when it comes to, you know, the top tier companies in the world. Um, and New Japan is what it is. It's a legacy. It's a, it's a dynasty, no pun intended. It is, it's what it is. Um, I don't think, it's hard to say, Dan, because when the opportunity is given to you, 
that's when it changes your mindset. But, you know, when you think without the opportunity in front of you, what you would do, you, I don't know if I'm like, again, I have so much attachment and different side careers going on. And that could be a detriment to me for all I know. It could be the reason why I'm not in companies like New Japan or whatnot. But, you know, I don't know if I'd be able to fully commit to going to Japan on a full-time basis just yet in my career. Um, but to do a tour in Japan, especially if it's with New Japan, I think they would love the Man of Steel. I think those fans would fall in love with the character. Right. And um, going a little bit forward here, um, when can we expect, you know, this next version of um, the Man of Steel? You know, the guy who will finally, like, embrace of ripping the shirt off in front of an AEW crowd and just, you know, getting that opportunity of saying, hey, you know, this is what I made. This is what I'm made of. Yeah. Well, I think I'm getting to the point now with all these matches accumulating and the decision not going in my favor that eventually there'll have to be a breaking point. And once that breaking point happens and the Man of Steel turns into Bizarro and things get wild, <laughs> that's when, when the world may really see what I'm capable of. All right, guys, this is uh, we're going to wrap things up here for the podcast. Um, Mike, before we sign off here, was there anything that you wanted to plug in, maybe promote or uh, share with social media? Yeah, for sure. And first of all, Dan, again, thank you for having me. Uh, great conversation. Anytime I have a good conversation with a podcast host, time flies by. I just looked at the screen and it says 52 minutes. It did not feel like that. So I appreciate that with you. Um, I would definitely like to come back. So for the fans listening out, you can follow me on all social media, Man of Steel MV. Um, you can watch my matches, whether they're on AEW or the independent circuit. Um, support all forms of wrestling. We're in a tough situation right now when it comes to wrestling. And without the fans, we are nothing. So buy your favorite wrestlers t-shirt buy an eye pay-per-view watch someone's twitter uh you know watch someone's matches follow someone on twitter and instagram just keep the engagement going because without you guys we truly are nothing so thank you for that follow dan's podcast the wrestle zone podcast because this has been a lot of fun to be on and i'm definitely down to come back in the future hopefully after we rack up some w's to talk about what's changed my game <laughs> and i'll definitely be looking forward to that but of course, guys, you can find the PWZ podcast on all major streaming platforms, including social media. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. And also follow us on Twitter. But if you want to look for me personally, you can always find me on YouTube at DanTheBeast94. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, especially if you're going to be watching my channel and you're not subscribed. What are you doing? Hit that button. <laughs>